In the 1971 song Silver Spoon, Grace Slick of Jefferson Airplane fame, an all-around influencer of psychedelic music, wrote, What if you were starving to death and the only food you had was me? What would you say to the cannibal question? Would your answer be perfectly free? Uh, waitress, uh, I have a problem with my order. I wanted my steak medium rare, and this is done medium. Send this inedible garbage back to the kitchen. What's that? The chef wants to speak with me? Okay. Wait, no. That's not the chef. Ah, it's the Wendigo. Welcome to the 10th skin crawling episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt, once again joined by our resident semi-pro Castlevania player. I know you just got done with a 17-page paper on the various damage levels of the whip through 33 years of Castlevania games, but I must ask. A Lucard in Symphony of the Night says, The only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. So this quote has nothing to do with the question, but <laughs> how old were you and how much did your brain explode when you found out a Lucard is Dracula spelled backwards? Well, I, I'm pretty sure I knew it the moment I saw the name. <laughs> I, you know, weird thing about me is I used to do a lot of reversing names just for the fun of it. <laughs> like this one time. That is a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. I remember I was visiting a small town up in North Florida called Nilbog and I'm like, Wait a second. Oh, <laughs> That's goblin backwards. Uh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and then the town was just overrun with the goblins. <laughs> and, and for some reason I thought to call them trolls. I don't know, it's weird. <laughs> it, it happens to the best of us. I know. Yeah, that's I survived. <laughs> mm -hmm. What is the best weapon type in Castlevania? Well, I mean, if you're talking about Symphony of the Night, because that's the only one that you can pick different weapons in, you know, the other <laughs> the other ones you play a character with a whip. I mean, I guess the later ones, there's really, I, I haven't even played any of the later ones, so I don't know what you do with those. Obviously, the best weapon type is, is a sword. Cut Dracula's head off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instead of whipping his head off. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I don't know how a whip became the go-to weapon to fight. Dracula. I don't know what the Japanese were thinking. They're like, you know, this is a common theme where, you know, vampires are killed with a stake through the heart. Not forget that. A whip. We're going to do a whip. <laughs> the, uh, I never really played any of the Castlevania games. The only one I had anything like it was on Super Nintendo. Uh, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Uh, yes. I never got past, like, the second level. So. <laughs> <laughs> that game is insanely hard. And I'm going to shout out my friend because I witnessed him play that game and beat the damn thing. I have no idea how that happened. That was one of those. It's one of those. It's just an insanely hard game. And another insanely hard, you know, there was a lot of insanely hard Super Nintendo games. Like the Super Star Wars series. I don't know how yep. anyone can beat nope. those. <laughs> <laughs> I remember renting them and be like, eh, you can bring this back, Mom. I don't want to play it anymore. 
Yup. I remember uh, my cousin used to have one. Uh, I, I forget which one, but you fight the Sarlacc monster like in the first level, and I could never get past that. And I was like, all right, that's, yeah. that's enough for me. <laughs> Great level design, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Frustrate your players so they never play again. Anyways, besides Alucard and Dracula and the wishy-washiness of their names, today we will attempt to crack into the core of the Wendigo. But before we morph into gluttonous cannibals who cannot be satiated, let's take a bite out of some curious news items, shall we? We shall. So the first one I found, and this comes courtesy of unexplainedmysteries.com, it's titled, Doctors Discover Needles in Woman's Brain. (laughs) (laughs) And it has a picture on it, too. So a woman who underwent a CT scan in China was inexplicably found to have two needles in her head. The 29-year-old who hails from Zhengzhou had undergone the scan after being involved in a car accident because doctors had recommended that she be checked for any possible head injury. When the images came back, however, to everyone's surprise, the woman appeared to have two large needles embedded inside her brain, each measuring approximately five centimeters in length. So that's about close to two inches. What made the discovery all the more mysterious was the fact that the needles had nothing to do with the car accident. They had seemingly been in there for years without her knowing about them. Stranger still, she had no recollection whatsoever of any head injuries, and it appeared that they must have been inserted when she was young, because judging from the diameter of the needles, they would have been unable to pierce the skull as an adult. Remarkably, the woman has never experienced any headaches or any other problems as a result. Because of this, it is unlikely the doctors will attempt to remove them. The case has since been reported to the police for further investigation. Although, I don't know what the hell they're going to investigate. <laughs> Two things come to mind. First, it reminds me of the X-Files in general, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, Scully, of the of the duo, Mulder and Scully, she's uh, abducted by aliens at some point, and then she's got yep. this weird metallic thing in the base of her neck, a little chip or something like that, and that's like a, a huge plot point. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And the second thing that comes to mind is this. I guess it, I don't know. I, I guess you call it a scary story or a ghost story, something like that. It's a the girl with the red ribbon or something like that, or a green ribbon. I forget what it's called, but it's a girl. It's a story of a, a girl who wears a ribbon around her neck. Have you heard this? Okay. No. And her husband. I guess she gets married, and the husband's like, "Hey, take off the ribbon, take off the ribbon." And he kept asking her, and she's like, "No, don't. I don't want to." And <laughs> well, then is her head gonna fall? And eventually, I think. <laughs> I think she was asleep, and he's like, now's my chance, and he unties it, and her head rolls off. Oh, man. So, so I'm thinking, I wonder if those needles are, um, like, um, supports for, like, if they get removed, her brain just shuts down or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're, like, keeping those synapses in there. Or they, they pull out, they just ooze out. Yeah. It's like a plug. Very, very weird as far as uh, how this happened. I'm... I'm just waiting for the day they, they make another news announcement say, the scientists have studied the needles and they have no known origin. <laughs> There's no metal like, found on Earth that resembles this. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. It's uh, one of the things I think about is the Salem witch trials, where during one of the trials, uh, one of the girls that was there like in the audience watching, the she like claimed that she was being afflicted by one of the witches, and in her mouth she had like a bunch of needles that she had like started to spit out all these needles. A lot of the stuff related to the Salem Witch Trial very up in the air as far as what exactly happened, but 
I'm of the belief that that girl came in with those needles and she was prepared to, yeah. <laughs> you know, put these needles in her mouth and then say, oh, look at me, I have needles in my mouth. She had, she had, she was definitely coming for that woman, that whoever yes. was the witch. She's like, I'm going to make sure she gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to do it with my needle trick. Behold. <laughs> so I'm thinking something happened when this girl was very young, probably kids messing around and some needles went in and too afraid to tell mom and they just stayed in there and she's maybe too embarrassed to tell our doctors about it now <laughs> yeah maybe or maybe it's a government conspiracy yeah i mean it's china we won't go any further but i'll leave it up to the <laughs> listener to make their own decisions about that country. Oh god <laughs> so angel this is the penultimate episode of season one we have a dinner party for two we have our suits and ties on. The tablecloth has been ironed. Appetizers have been served. I see that you put on your bib with a little lobster on it. And the main course is about to be placed. The Wendigo. Are you ready to dig in? Um, I'm kind of afraid of what's on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> Let's find out. Maybe, maybe us. I don't know. Sort of akin to other episodes. Is this a creature that has really popped onto your radar? prior to the research here so the wendigo is one of those things where i've i've heard the term i've seen it like in video games like final fantasy like b monsters that you fight oh it's the wendigo i, sp I particularly remember uh, final fantasy 8 there's like wendigo monsters and you can collect their card and it's neither here nor there <laughs> I also, final fantasy junk <laughs> yeah and i also know like a few uh music bands that have titled their music, their songs, Wendigo, so, you oh, know, okay. whatever that means. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty much the extent I know I knew about the the Wendigo before actually diving in. So not too much as like a an entity, like a, yeah. I guess, really related to anything grounded in, in cultures. Yeah. For me, this may be the entity for season one that I actually have the most familiarity with so far. Ooh. And... I tried to think about it, and I truly have no idea why. I have <laughs> no recollection of how this knowledge came to it's me. It's like the needles. But, uh, yeah, they're in my brain. <laughs> Wendigo is in my brain. It may be, I think, maybe the iconography of it, you know, the, the representation of this monstrous, decaying, deer-headed creature out to eat you. And in my mind, that's pretty death metal looking, so <laughs> that's what stuck with me. So imagine my dismay when in the first two minutes of researching for this episode, it seems that the representation of this deer-headed monster out to devour your flesh is a complete misrepresentation of the First Nations culture that really created this entity in the first place. Mm -hmm. So let's take a look and see exactly how this has come to pass. According to Basil Johnston, he is an Ojibwe teacher, to give you an idea of what the Wendigo looks like to uh, some of these First Nation cultures, the Wendigo is gaunt to the point of emaciation. Desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from separation of the flesh, and the Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. So I had to look into what the heck separation meant, because I had never seen that word. And to my dismay, that is basically when you form and discharge pus. Oh. So 
the Wendigo in Basil Johnson's description is secreting pus from its lips and flesh. So that makes it somehow even worse. Kind of, kind of reminds me of a zombie. Yeah, that's sort of a, the um, like the person that popped into my mind. How that like this this entity just <laughs> shuffling along. Yeah, and by the looks of it, it's like how is this thing even moving? It should be dead. Yeah. So the the entity is cannibalistic in nature, and in most First Nations culture, the Wendigo is unusually tall. The more flesh it consumes, the taller it grows. However, its appetite is never satiated, so it must just continue consuming, 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 and growing and growing and growing, and then looking for more food in this endless journey for food. Again, even, even similar to representation of zombies as we know them today. And it's kind of interesting because all I've ever seen before of, and I just had this thought now when you mentioned the zombie, the lore of zombies or where zombies came from to enter into American culture as we know them now. Like most, I guess, scholarly research into it depicts it to like voodoo and representation yeah. of uh, like that culture influencing American culture and then it be changing into getting co-opted and, and changed into what we know the zombie as today. A lot of influence from George Romero and things like that but i have never seen anything related saying that's related to the wendigo and i think much closer to its truest form of the wendigo i would think is the the zombie yeah yeah the, the more you talked about it i was like it, do, it really does seem more zombie like than anything maybe mm-hmm. the zombie you know originated from that once again people sitting on native american culture <laughs> not getting the, the, the look it needs yeah. i guess yeah from what we've looked at this season this is i would say a pretty unique looking creature isn't it the way i see it it's almost like it only exists because of humans so you know humans bring it bring it about essentially that's a my gosh that's a (laughs) philosophical question there isn't it (laughs) (laughs) in general though it must consume for all eternity so it seems like this could easily be adopted as a metaphor for american consumerism right yeah this is, seems like, as we'll go on, an entity that can just be dropped into a lot of different facets of life as a metaphor for a whole lot of things. It's very interesting. With that, let's just go a little bit deeper, as we always do. Apply Cotton Eye Joe's Razor, the axiom that once again states, if something comes from somewhere, it therefore must go somewhere. So from what I have been able to decode of this, the Wendigo is normally associated with uh, First Nation peoples known as the Algonquin, Chippewa, Ottawa, Ojibwe, Cree, Potawatomi. It's also my understanding that combined these uh, several nations, they form to be known as the Anishinaabe grouping of First Nations. Their land spanned in their prime from Nova Scotia to the Great Lakes of Minnesota. So a great deal of land that those nations consisted of. And according to the oral tradition, the Wendigo is an evil spirit that preys upon the weak and those disconnected from society. It's said that the word translates then to the evil spirit that devours mankind, and gosh darn devouring it does, with it again being associated with cannibalism and then also greed and murder. It would seem that the Wendigo is just out there, traversing the north woods, waiting to devour the next lost soul encounters, but there is much more to it than just a malevolent spirit out there to consume, I think. So it's often told that the Wendigo is created when a human commits the act of cannibalism. So by reducing yourself to that level, you summon the Wendigo into reality, into your body. You are then disposed to an unquenchable desire for more flesh. It may not be immediate. It may not be 
something that's on your mind constantly, but the desire will always be there, there seems to be absolutely no way to rid yourself of the Wendigo once you have committed that act. So Angel, it would seem that we have almost, at this point, two entities. One, the giant uh, consuming one that just roams the forest and is out there as a, a physical entity. The other, the spirit that enters you upon the maybe looking at like the ritual aspect of the consumption of or the act of cannibalism. So what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, I mean, this is um very similar to previous cryptids we looked at where the differing origin stories, you know, mm-hmm. the goat man has a different one. Baba Yaga has a different or you know, a different differing origins. I don't think this is any different. It's funny because I can't get the, the the zombie idea out of my mind now. And <laughs> That's the seed has been planted. And yeah, as you were describing the, the hunger, that, that craving that that shows up and that it, at first is it's kind of there, but you're not really thinking about it all the time. It reminded me of, of Netflix's uh, Santa Clarita Diet, where where um Drew Barrymore's character just... Drew Barrymore action, yeah. Yeah, she just suddenly had a craving for human flesh and... You know, she's a zombie, as as the as the show puts it. But uh, yeah. maybe she's a Wendigo. I mean, is it the same thing? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, never know because it was canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I was able to listen to a recording from Lewis Bird. He's an Aboriginal scholar and storyteller. As part of the Omushkigo Oral History Project, Bird shared in both Cree and in English stories of the Omushkigoak people of the Hudson and James Bay lowlands of northern. Manitoba and Ontario. He tells the story of Anwe, who is a central figure in a lot of stories. Anwe, however, is not a specific person. It's just the same name applied to various heroic figures who all find themselves in troublesome situations. So he tells the story of the Wendigo, in which Anwe must go to a village and basically kill everyone in it. Basically, this one set of people, they find out that this other tribe, they have been infiltrated by the Wendigo. And Anwe is sent to cleanse the people of the Wendigo. The village had, in uh, Bird's story, the village had overhunted the land and the population of humans had grown just too much and exceeded capacity, with their end result being cannibalism to survive. So Anwe goes to the village, kills several people who had become Wendigo, and frees others who had been held captive. To me, just an interesting story and revealed some subtle hints as to the powers of the Wendigo that I had not seen depicted anywhere else. During the story, Anwe, he gets into this melee with the Wendigo, and, and the Wendigo picks up a stick and hurls it at Anwe. It's hurled so fast, it was described like it was an arrow being let loose from a bow. And then after that, an old woman who could hardly walk, she picked up a stone that was used to grind and powder meat, I thought that was interesting because I never really heard of powdered meat before. <laughs> and she threw it so fast that Anwe, it was described like it was a bullet from a gun. And it also connected with Anwe, and he was like, it shook him a bit, and then he like picked up the stone and threw it back at her just as fast. <laughs> In the story, though, some extreme superhuman strength being attributed to the Wendigo, which I thought was extreme strength to be able to throw stone the speed of a bullet or stick the speed of an arrow. Another interesting portion of the story is that Anwe speaks to all these people. So he speaks to the Wendigo. And there's this whole portion where he targets a specific Wendigo, believing it to be the weak link in the community. Anwe brings the Wendigo to a beaver dam 
that had been overhunted, and he sort of feigns trying to help the Wendigo repair the dam so that the beavers could return. The way that the story was told, the guys, the the Wendigo sort of wants to, I guess, believe that they, the beaver could come back, but he's he keeps saying over and over again, there's there's no beaver there, there's no beaver there, and maybe some sort of depiction of trying to internally fight the Wendigo, but it wasn't too clear. It was all a ruse to set up a trap for the Wendigo and really the rest of the village, but it showed that the people who had been possessed by the spirit still really functioned as normal humans. There was no clear indication that these were Wendigo. So for Anwe, they all interacted like normal, and he was just waiting for them to reveal themselves. And what had happened was uh, the one that Anwe had been targeting, he went back to the village, sort of described what was going on, that he was talking to this guy that had, had come out of nowhere and was trying to get the beavers to come back. And the rest of the village like freaked out, like, oh my gosh, what's this guy doing here? And they all rushed to go kill him and eat him. And that's what the moment that Anwe's like turns back to them and says, I've been waiting. And it's like this sinister <laughs> moment where it's, it's like, welcome to my hell. You're locked in here with me now. And he kills them all. Uh, so, Angel, what do you think about this portion of it? So, a Wendigo inhabited by a person, maybe hidden among the group, just waiting for the right moment to strike. I read something similar. I didn't. It, it was. It didn't go into uh, too much depth. It was the idea that a Wendigo always has a person inside of them, and in order to kill the Wendigo, you you have to kill the person inside of them as well. Although there were some instances where the person inside was able to be saved. The reverse, where the Wendigo is inside of a person and hiding, I that's that's I haven't I didn't run a, come across into that. And the superhuman strength thing is also something that I kind of threw me off because every other instance it's it's supposed to be weak because it's supposed to be not physically um, intimidating. It's supposed to be skinny, emaciated, and it's supposed to be hungry all the time. So uh, this, having strength just doesn't seem uh, the thing for it. So it's, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's a different, a different uh, perspective. Yeah. So sort of like the, the Baba Yaga school of thought, this representation of this frail old woman that you might be uh, lured into something that uh, you aren't expecting. Yeah. And sort of similar with this one, you might be thinking that you're talking to a normal person. Unbeknownst to you, they are cannibals and are <laughs> consumed by the Wendigo and are just waiting for the right moment to strike. An even somewhat more sinister aspect of the entity. I, I hate to bring this up, but it reminds me of Little little Town, Big Town. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, they did. The Big Town people ate the Little Town people. Come on. This is Wendigo all uh. over again. So this is a, a movie that's in part of an anthology series. I truly don't recall what the heck the movie was called, but it's I think it's on Netflix, and it's a Indian movie, like a Hindu movie, I think, right? Yeah. That one was just called Big Town, and <laughs> this guy just comes to this town looking for, I don't remember what, I think his car broke down. Yeah. And he comes across these two kids who, like, rush him to this abandoned building as, like, they're getting attacked by these zombies zombie yeah zombie like creatures possibly wendigos yep and then and then there's like a bigfoot creature and then they're <laughs> like wearing clothes and it, it it goes wild but and then like has parts of time travel like he, he didn't experience it but he did experience it it was like sort of a, a planet of the apes type yeah, yeah twist at the it end was... i don't know 
it didn't make sense. Yeah, it's ca- it's called it's called Ghost Stories. Oh, go How could I forget a title like that? <laughs> In relation to bird stories, though, so another thing that Bird relayed that I had not seen anywhere else is that he also warns of the Wendigo attaching itself to those that are actually most abused by family or society as a whole. So a completely different take on it. So he gives an example of a grandmother who's being abused and neglected by a family or a son or daughter being hit by a parent. So the Wendigo would not target the one in the action, the abuser, but target the one that's being abused. The abuse oh, wow. makes them, yeah, the abuse makes them less than human, Bird says, and then they are engulfed by the spirit of the Wendigo. So just that the act of being abused and being seen as less human, the idea is they start believing that they're less than human. And so they become they become yeah, the allows the that opportunity for the Wendigo to enter them. This then enables that person that the Wendigo has entered to lash out in violence and then possibly kill their abuser in some act of retribution. Hmm. But it's uh, but they have been, you know, consumed by the Wendigo. So it's rooted in something that they call Pastahoan, where people commit sins against nature or sins against morality. So it's this whole other tier of thought of applying the Wendigo to really everyday life, I I would think, of family life and, you know, being it like a moral compass of you can't do these things because this could be the outcome, not for you, but for the person that you're abusing of your own family member. So a truly nasty spirit. So what do you make of that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, another interesting take, because that reminds, that like brings to mind like stories of of abusive husbands where the wife finally, you know, gets the courage to fight back and ends up killing the guy or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, maybe it's the Wendigo taking over Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And really a different way to look at it for, uh, I guess, culturally of, it's not like to no fault of the person that was the one receiving the abuse. It's really the onus is on the abuser yeah. to not have been doing that, really. Right. So a, a, a neat take on it that, you know, your actions could bring the Wendigo upon others. Right. Let's break down the other portion of this axiom. Where has the Wendigo gone? So there have been quite a few reports in history from Jesuit missionaries and explorers. Uh, so similar to... The Piazza, Jacques Marquette, he was a Jesuit missionary and explorer. You know, they call them the black robes. Mm-hmm. They were out there. They were exploring, <laughs> doing, spreading the word out there in Canada and elsewhere. They fully believed that the Wendigos were out there. And uh, employees of the Hudson Bay Company, they told stories of strange interactions with the natives. I want to just put a spotlight on one of them. So this is a story about a man called Zawano Jizago Gaba meaning he who stands in the southern sky in Cree. So his English name is Jack Fiddler, and he was an Agama, a chief or a shaman figure, who was responsible for slaying at least 14 Wendigo. In the late 1800s, typically uh, what would have happened is that a family would contact Jack and his brother and want them to end the life of a sickly family member who they believed was inhabited by the Wendigo. And then finally in 1907, Mounties arrived in the area, and in what some believe was a power grab by the government of Canada to introduce Canadian law into the indigenous people's lands. They arrested Jack for the murder of a family member. Uh, her name was Washaka Piquet. Newspapers then picked up the story, 
indicating devil worship in the area, which actually helped edge public support towards the conviction of Jack. So they sort of framed it as like there's some sinister stuff going on up here. This guy's just killing people, claiming the devil's inside of them, because of course the newspaper is not going to represent it correctly. He ends up getting convicted. In the process, though, there's some appeals, and I think he dies in prison. Three days later, they got word that the family got word that the appeal was successful, and they're going to re- overturn the conviction. He, unfortunately, though, never had heard that as he was already dead prior to that being set in motion. So, what are your thoughts on the story of Jack Fiddler Angel? So we have this shaman really out there doing what his culture wants and Canadian law comes in. Sort of their defense was that they weren't aware of Canadian law, so they can't, <laughs> it can't be applied yeah. to them sort of scenario. Uh, but the public seemingly wanted a conviction, so the right. magistrate supposedly didn't have much of an option. So what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, first, first thought is they weren't aware of Canadian law. Who the f- F cares. I mean, they were there first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) As you can see, I almost threw an F bomb. That's thanks to the wine. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a tricky, I think this is a tricky uh, situation where, you know, the clash of cultures where, you know, they, a certain culture handles certain things and situations their own way. And then you have another culture saying, this is strange and interpreting it a different way and saying we need to intervene and the question being like do we need to intervene like do we mess with their with their cultural values and morality or do we let it be kind of thing the way it was represented too in the story of it there wasn't seemingly any anyone in their in the village that that jack and his brother were doing this in that were against it the sort the story sort of spread from another family member to uh, a law official and then that then report got reported back to other people. Then the Mounties came in to arrest him on this. I think he had, uh, specifically for this family member, had choked the person to death. Mm-hmm. So on him for the murder of that family member. A weird interaction of governmental law over people that aren't part of the government sort yeah. of scenario of, the, of indigenous peoples. So interesting aspect that the Wendigo is related to. Another portion that's uh, related to the Wendigo is something called Wendigo psychosis. So according to the Canadian Encyclopedia website, so this is straight from there, it says, in the early 20th century, the term Wendigo found its way into Western medical vocabulary. It was used by early psychiatrists to refer to a mental condition in which patients felt possessed by cannibalistic desires. Oblate missionary J.E. St. Don was the first to use the term in the 1920s while working in a Cree community in the Western James Bay area. There he met a woman who claimed that she saw strangers who wanted to kill and devour her. St. Don referred to the women's mental condition as psychoneurosis, a mental or behavioral disorder characterized by depression and anxiety. Over time, the condition came to be known as the Wendigo psychosis. However, whether this is a real affliction is still a highly uh, disputed discussion among the medical community. A medical affliction related to an entity angel that's completely new territory for things that we've looked at right yeah yeah this is it's it's wild is what it is mm-hmm. i mean to think this the wendigo is not as mainstream as other cryptids and yet it's got its own medical term already uh-huh. in there in, in you know the medical dictionary i guess the way that it was that i looked at it was so a lot of you know, early psychiatrists were trying to maybe apply, I guess, some sort of science 
to what was going on with this cannibalistic things that were going on because it was a, a true thing that was going on definitely in that time as well and the way that was represented in, in the literature that I saw was once white people got more and more involved in the area that the cannibalistic stories started to step back a little bit like they, they started to end yeah so then that's like this this instance where maybe the culture was being assimilated into the into white culture was what was actually reducing the cannibalistic stories that were being told then that's what sort of began this discussion of well maybe it was never really a psychosis at all maybe it was just a cultural practice that the people that were committing it it was like it was like embedded into their brain that this was an option that could become of them yeah. in their society and then maybe like a last resort scenario they did it because that's maybe what they're in their mind they're already preordained to become or something like that so some interesting stuff i don't know if i generally agree with all of it but yeah in our looking into different entities definitely a whole new territory related to the entity i, I think it's interesting that you brought up the white people because I there's this um, article I ran into called The Native American Legend of the Wendigo, the Frostbitten Monster of Your Nightmares. There's a paragraph that says, Ironically enough, these Wendigo stories might actually represent the indigenous people's response to the horrific violence unleashed on them by non-native people. In fact, many anthropologists believe that the concept of a Wendigo only developed after the native people had contact with the Europeans. Wow. Yeah, I don't see any other instance where they mention something like that, but I think that's an interesting idea where mm -hmm. th that wasn't even a thing until, you know, Europeans came about. Completely unrelated to anything at hand here, but another aspect of white interaction onto the natives is horses. So like in a lot of depictions of Native Americans being like master horsemen, horse archers shooting guns from horseback and things like that. Yeah. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, horses were introduced into, by Europeans into North America. It wasn't an animal that was in, already here prior to them coming. Mm -hmm. So in a short span of time, they had mastered the horse and almost became more synonymous with the horse rather than the colonists that, were, that brought them there. So another weird interaction <laughs> that, with the colonists. <laughs> that weirdly reminds me of Sudoku. Where it's a it's it's a Japanese word, but apparently it originated in either in the America in America or in England, but it was like an English puzzle game, and that became <laughs> popular in J it became popular in Japan. And it was called Sudoku, and then it became repopular again in the states, and everyone calls it Sudoku and assumes that the Japanese invented it. <laughs> I I never knew that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I've also never played it. So. <laughs> Back to the Wendigo. Beyond this, it would still seem that the Wendigo is amongst us. So in the stories of Lewis Bird, he was talking about further on the modernization of the Wendigo. So it gets a little bit more grounded in the value of treating others with respect and sinful things falling to alcoholism. Could be a instance where the Wendigo had possessed you. It's a cautionary tale that I think is something that should be adopted by many, many people sort of this idea to just be aware of your surroundings, of your own impacts of actions on your life and things like that. Today, if you search Google Images, just the word Wendigo, pretty much the only representation of it that you are going to get is the lanky, deer-like entity with decomposing skin. So I tried to track this down 
because everything I looked at in the research, nothing depicted what most people imagine when they hear the word Wendigo. Nothing ever came up of, of what this entity was. So I tried to track it down of when this switch to this imagery occurred. And it simply boils down to cultural appropriation. So the main figure that is behind this seems to be Larry Fessenden, an actor and director who combined various interpretations to create his own mythos for his 2001 movie, Wendigo. So it depicts first in the movie, uh, it's depicted as a twig and stick-like deer-man hybrid. It even like chases the kid. And yeah. you see it from like the Wendigo's perspective, a bunch of like sticks sort of chasing the kid. Yeah. Uh, eventually into a physical manifestation of the Wendigo. Really, it's what the state of entity that we know it, know it as today, the bipedal murderous antlered entity, was born in that moment in that movie. So allegedly, Fessenden, he took some bits from Algernon Blackwood's 1910 story titled The Wendigo, and then also the book Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. There's also a Wendigo story. Is that Alvin Schwartz? I believe so. And in those depictions, that deer-like entity is not, to my understanding, a part of those stories. It's more of a supernatural, you never really see the creature scenario. And he was just using some like aspects of those stories to blend it into his and then melted it with his uh, deer-like entity. In his movie, The Last Winter, starring Ron Perlman, it also has some things to do with the Wendigo. In that one, he shows it as a similar ethereal version of the creature. So that's like out there to uh, run down, I believe, in that movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it was like some oil drillers in the Arctic that they start to go a little bit crazy at the very end. It has very little to do with the Wendigo, but I think Ron Perlman's character gets like <laughs> bum-rushed by a bunch of reindeer, and this Wendigo creature is a part of that interaction. So what's your take on this, Angel, as far as the, the current representation of the Wendigo? I find the deer representation, the deer-like creature, is almost, it's very mysterious. I don't, like, you mentioned... It, um, to me, it's a very intriguing. It's a cool it, it, a cool look for a creature. Yeah, but but it's like, where, where did it come from? Like, like did this, did, um, what's his name, Larry? Yeah, Larry Fessenden. Yeah. So, did he just say, "Oh, I wanted to look like a deer"? Like, I, I mean, I don't know how that came about, but somehow that deer representation just took off. Because every every uh, image search I find on the internet of a Wendigo is just a deer creature, uh -huh. but every description of the Wendigo does not match that at all. Mm -hmm. It all goes back to the the indigenous representation of this um, zombie-like, emaciated human like humanoid so it's like why is why do we get this these images of this deer creature thing and why is nobody talking about that yeah it's sort of like during the whole research aspect of it like the elephant in the room of the, here's the imagery depiction of it that is all over we'll get into it in the pop culture section yeah but like all everything is this entity spawning from a very low-budget drama-slash-horror movie starring one of the kids from Malcolm in the Middle <laughs> and, <laughs> and and other people I don't know. Like, we watched it not knowing what the heck it was and how, the impact that it had on the creature. Some crazy stuff happens. There's some boots at the end of the movie that I watched <laughs> to find out. And, <laughs> the boots! And 
who knew this little movie, the little Wendigo that could, was the thing that changed it all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is, um, you know. Well, I think Steven... it also had, like, a horrible uh, box office. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think every, after it read it, it was, like, one of the worst box office draws ever. Well, you, you know, the Stephen King's Pet Cemetery apparently had a depiction of the Wendigo, which had ram's horns, but. I, I mean, I don't, that was in the book. I don't remember the movie having anything like that. Stephen King movies compared to books always get the <laughs> the short end of that stick. Yeah. So it's come to be expected, really. <laughs> so, <laughs> so beyond that, I think this is a good opportunity now to jump into the rubric of power and see if the Wendigo can dethrone the queen, Baba Yaga. <laughs> so how about the powers? I'll let you go first, Angel, because I took uh, honors last time, unceremoniously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The powers, I I thought it was um, less than, I'm not going to say less than, the the Wendigo, I didn't come across the superhuman strength thing that you did, or the fact that he can hide in humans. Um, I mostly found the the, the Wendigo being some sort of a spirit. That it essentially overtakes a human when they indulge in excess. Mm-hmm. And so essentially they become the Wendigo by being greedy or whatever. They, the, this, this greed uh, uh, makes them hunger for more and they feed off of human flesh. And the only thing I can think of is that it's, Im- it's immortal. You can't really kill it. Mm-hmm. And as it eats, it just gets bigger, so it's never satiated. It just continues to eat. I think that's the the, the main the main power it has that it's just continually consuming everything in its path, and it being immortal. I think that <laughs> that little thing. <laughs> yeah, th- I mean those those two things. I think they don't seem like much. Like even if you know even ignoring the superhuman strength thing i think consuming everything in its path is kind of a big deal and then and then being like ah that's not good enough i want more <laughs> yeah yeah exactly just continually continually causing this destruction you know destruction to others and self destruction as well i i gave a i gave the powers a 3 because three. yeah, the, I mean, you look at the the stories about them, and I don't see anything about how to stop the the Wendigo. There's there's preventative measures like live a moderate life, don't don't live in excess, kind of mm-hmm. thing, and you will yeah. prevent the Wendigo. You know, keep it at bay. But there's no mention of once the Wendigo has you, what do you do? It's just like, no, oh, you're you're screwed. <laughs> yeah, I was able to find something, but I'm gonna save that. Oh, for a moment. So, oh my, a little bit of a teaser. <laughs> so, what I uh, looked into. So, a lot of you know very neat abilities attributed to it. The entity, superhuman strength and speed. Also, uh, beyond the Lewis Bird stories, it was I found that was also said to be as fast as the wind. So, sort of in, in the Algernon Blackwood story, sort of really depicting it as a force of nature. I think was the way that he was going for it, and that it could be like basically like the wind being able to then like just pick you up and, and like swoop you away yeah. and consume you that way. In its core form, when not possessing a human, it's said that its claws are strong enough to help it climb trees and buildings. So it's got some some good claw strength. I guess that's cool. Its insatiable <laughs> hunger is legendary. 
and the more it eats, the larger it gets. So like you said, um, it's just constantly looking for more flesh. It has the power of possession, which causes the host to seemingly delve into madness of always having in the back of their mind the, the desire, the thought to consume human flesh. The entity, like I said, seems to be immortal and requires, uh, but I found, very specific ways to kill it. Oh. So some things that I read that iron, seal, or silver weapons must be used to kill it. Oh. The heart, which is said to be encased in ice and where the host is placed when the Wendigo possesses the person, must be pierced and destroyed. You must decapitate and burn the remains of the entity or the possessed person. In Lewis Bird's stories, he even indicated that a place a Wendigo is slayed should be stayed away from because of the power could still be overhauled on that land. So there's a re there's really doesn't seem to be a way to cure oneself of the possession, and even in the storytelling of it, sort of like the moral aspect of it, to to not go down the avenue of cannibalism, suicide is a better option in the representation of the cultures from what I read. Crazy thing going on with the Wendigo, just the the idea like it's so powerful you should fear it so much you must live your life a certain way to not even have it come into contact with you yeah. so i gave it a a four exemplary wow another teaser that might just be the way the rest of it goes <laughs> I'm, I'm high on the wendigo oh no how about, how about detectability perhaps the wendigo has a hold of you <laughs> <laughs> wendigo and baba yaga Tooth and nail right now. <laughs> um, detectability. It's strange. There's not that many mentions of sightings. There's this article that says that the majority of the sightings was between the 1800s and 1920s. Mm -hmm. I can find a few tales about those sightings. I don't know. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of sightings. Uh, the encounters of these things... Like there's this a more a recent site uh, account that I found, where this guy described there's two guys out in the woods and one of them just uh, sees something and he describes it to the other guy, and the guy is so afraid of what he was. I don't know why he was afraid, but he was just so distraught. He's like, maybe you saw Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> I think you saw Bigfoot. And he even says, you know, I don't even believe in Bigfoot, but I'm pretty sure if anything, he saw Bigfoot and not whatever he was, he thought he was describing. So the fact, because he said it was some sort of humanoid thing. So to me, mm -hmm. it just seems, I don't know, the sightings could be mistaken identities for some other humanoid creature like Bigfoot or not. Or maybe the guy is just in denial, but. To me, it just doesn't seem like oh, the Wendigo is a thing that you would you would encounter. It's something that you become. Like I really, I feel that in my bones that that's a thing that 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 you know you don't you don't see it. That's something that just it takes takes you over. Because there are accounts of there being stories and you know the whole hunting the Jack Fiddler killing several several of them. There, there's one where um, uh, what's his name? Swift Runner. There's a guy named Swift yeah. Runner who supposedly succumbed to the Wendigo's psychosis and and killed his wife and kids and ate them because he claimed it was through uh, because of famine and because it was like a blizzard or something. 
and yeah. and everyone else was like, well, you know, you had a, a store like right 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 down the street or something like that. Like you could have just gone there and gotten food. Like we don't believe it. So they just attributed it to Wendigo psychosis. There's a story of the first case of the Wendigo, which is a a warrior who made a pact with the devil. Now, to me, I don't know who came up with this story because the idea of the devil seems very Christian. So I don't know Mm -hmm. if it's just the devil or it's just some sort of demonic spirit. But this article says as the devil. So I gave it a detectability of 2.5. It's, you know, it's adequate, I guess. So for me, the way that I looked at it, and it's uh, maybe plays off a little bit on yours because I took a like a philosophical approach on this. So that there's this idea that no one truly knows what a Wendigo looks like. Mm-hmm. Because once you have seen it, means that either you're being hunted by it and therefore will become possessed by it. And then once the person is possessed, they really can't be trusted on their word of what to describe what they saw. So the idea is that the description of the entity could be a systematic effort to throw us off the true identity of the Wendigo. Because why would the creature that possesses the person that then is controlling them or doing what they need to do to to get human flesh want other people to know what its true identity is? You catch Mm. my drift on that side there? Yeah. So I guess philosophical way of of looking at it, uh, maybe even more so a cunning intelligence to it to hide its true identity. Uh, But I, I am giving it a three and a half. Ooh. or detectability so, so would you say larry had the window go inside him and it said yeah it looks like a deer <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i think <laughs> it's clearly not me thrown it off <laughs> and then it's changed everything because now people are looking for you know decomposing deer head yep. standing in the middle of the street and crashing through your car window <laughs> tearing you out of it so how about the lore and mystique lore and mystique the same same kind of thing where we have similar stories but they're they depict different kind of creatures, but they're also very similar as well. Uh, either it's a spirit that hunts you or you get possessed by it or it's hiding inside of you. But the end result is always the same where you just end up eating human flesh. The only difference is with the deer creature that adds to the lore that now it looks like a deer and it's not so much uh, human now. It's its own thing that hunts you down. And based on that movie, the Wendigo movie, it still has the, the same premise of it's hungry and it continues to consume. But now it's no longer human. It's just this thing that is perpetually eating. I gave it a 2.5. I, I don't... Wow. It doesn't seem to... It doesn't really seem to stray from that same same premise. For me, the way that I looked at it, I'm going to be clear in this aspect of it. To me, the the entity in its non-possessive form, so the ever-growing, insatiable giant, to me, and I think you stated this earlier, I think that's a harmless creature. Because Mm -hmm. to me, the idea seems to be that, say you're out in the woods, uh, the Wendigo will not simply attack you because you cross its path. You must accept the entity into your life by committing unspeakable acts, be it cannibalism, murder, unmitigated greed, the sole actor in this is the person who delves into the dark place of human capabilities. So the philosophical moral implications webbed into its mystique are 
really where I'm going, angle that I'm going for. And so for better or worse, the transition into this Western horror icon also helps give the entity even more to work with. I also saw some other things related into, I guess, some, some gripes that's uh, of the depiction of it being the, the Wendigo being this thing that sort of Larry created. A lot of American culture built on making a brand and things like that. So like in movies, to have a new creature is sometimes very rare to have a, like a brand new horror creature or something like that. Yeah, It's usually built on, based on something somewhere down in mythology. Oftentimes Native American culture is looked at as something to pluck things here and there to sort of say, oh, we got something new. Yeah. Uh, something to change up our story a little bit ends up being very similar to something else that's been produced, but now we've got a different aspect, uh, sort of different theme to roll on it. The Wendigo being co-opted as the, this new, I guess, horror icon of this deer entity, very death metal looking. <laughs> Even in like European culture, there's still a whole lot of like different deer iconography. Yeah. So it's not like, like why couldn't it have just been something that's like for the way it's represented now being attached to the Wendigo, why wasn't it just taken from like European culture where there's already tons of like stag and deer representation that you can draw from mythology? Yeah. Why'd it have to be Native American culture? So that was something I thought was interesting that uh, I hadn't really thought of before of how specifically in movies was how it was related. Native American culture gets picked to try to usually wrongly depict the entity. And again, that seems to be what happened with the Wendigo. So I think a lot of it, to me, the lore seems to be very long-lasting and also related to just this moral code. I ended up giving it a four because I, I really <laughs> like that idea of like the one that brings this into itself is one person. Like You do this to yourself. I thought, I thought that was just a really cool concept that I really haven't seen at all in the cryptid world or really mythology world. Yeah. How about uh, cunning and intelligence? This one, I, I, I chose the... The Wendigo's more zombie-like qualities, where it's just okay. the, the base base instincts to f- continually feed itself. There's no motive other than to just survive, to continue mm-hmm. eating, to get bigger, and continue eating. I don't think it does anything. It doesn't go out of its way to trick people to to fall into its trap or anything like that. It's just it just shows up or it just consumes you or however you want to accept it. I gave it a 1.5. Let me throw this at you. <laughs> so again, I'm looking at an approach here that's the waiting to be accepted into its host sort of approach here. So it's like a vampire that must be invited into a home. Mm-hmm. The Wendigo is not tricking or forcing you to consume the flesh of anyone. It's your own actions that are causing you to be possessed. So for me, it's like some sort of predator waiting to exact its moment to strike for it's it's on a whole nother level of cunning because it's waiting for you to get to the lowest point of your life to do the, <laughs> the, the absolute last resort the last thing that you ever want to do is the moment that it's waiting to enact its possession over you this is the most patient cryptid ever <laughs> it's just waiting waiting and waiting patience out the fake deer antlers once inside of you, <laughs> good luck purging yourself of it because seemingly you have to be decapitated and burned and good luck surviving that, right? Cunning and intelligence, because of its, I looked at it, the approach of its waiting to strike at your worst moments. So for me, there's a, an intelligence of, you know, waiting for you 
yeah. to be at your at your lowest. I gave it a three and a half. <laughs> this this is like your hogzilla. I <laughs> know <laughs> it is. But... It is. And it's immortal. Not semi-immortal. It's it's immortal. (laughs) Unless I guess you decapitated. And then truly it's not gone. It just comes back the next time somebody eats somebody. If if we if we hadn't done the hodag, I think this one would have been the one that stayed true to your true to your heart. so. Uh (laughs) So our final category, impact on popular culture. How does the Wendigo sit in your book on pop culture? This one is tricky. There are books on the Wendigo. There's movies. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote I wrote books, film, movies. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Same thing. Um, I mean, just go into Google Books and type Wendigo. You get it's endless, endless <laughs> amounts of just random fantasy, random horror, random. Yeah. Uh, erotica. <laughs> it's every it's everything. Yeah, and 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 you know they the monsters are featured in like video games. Yeah. Um, and and I mean I don't have to, I guess this falls under books, but comics, comic books as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because with all of those things there, I just can't shake the zombie aspect of it and how it's nobody kind of makes the connection and i think the wendigo was robbed of that i think the pop culture would have been mm-hmm. a four if it had just been if everyone just acknowledged that wendigos and zombies are very similar instead of creating this other word zombie for it yeah to the voodoo aspect of it so just treating it as just the wendigo itself and using that word i gave it a 2.5 I think if memory serves me, that's similar to what you gave the skunk ape. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the uh, some things I looked at again, all all the books, you know, scary stories to tell in the dark, uh, an eighties and nineties kid staple. I think. Yes. Lots of people got that from the public library. I think and they and, they uh, re- they they reissued those books, but I think a lot of I'm, I'm I'm speaking based on what my perception. I don't know if this is true, but a lot of people were upset with those reissues because. The the thing about the scary stories to tell in dark books is that everyone loved the the, the illustrations, uh-huh. and and the reissues have new illustrations that don't oh, match. Really? Yeah, they don't match anything of what the old ones look like. So like the Wendigo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the Wendigo now looks like a deer instead of a weird human thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think recently Guillermo del Toro movie, right? Didn't he do? Did he scary stories to tell in the dark? Oh, did he? Oh, yeah, that's right. He did. They, they, mm-hmm. There was a film. Um, but beyond Guillermo del Toro, back to the Wendigo, uh, so you mentioned it in passing comics. And I looked into it a little bit because uh, I, I wanted to see what sort of influence it had on it. And it seems Marvel Comics is the one that really weighed in on it. And the Wendigo is a character that was introduced in the Hulk line. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the comic, Hulk even gets cursed by the Wendigo spirit and <laughs> becomes, get this, Wendy Hulk. <laughs> and it's it's like a like uh, almost like a, a werewolf type version of the Hulk. Wendigo is also tied to Marvel history in that he's an antagonist in the Incredible Hulk number one eighty one, which is Wolverine's first appearance in Marvel Comics. Have that, Hugh Jackman. It could be the Wendigo next. There's also a series of X Men comics called World War Wendigo, where heroes end up becoming uh, cursed by the Wendigo, become cannibals. Unfortunately, I haven't read it, but it seems to be universally disliked by fans as it being a pretty boring story. But 
that they liked the Wendigo enough to have a whole run in X-Men. <laughs> as far as it's being related in uh, movies, so like the Wendigo movie we talked about last winter, uh, if you've ever seen the movie Ravenous, I saw it a long, long time ago. I think it stars Guy Ritchie. Really cool delve into madness of this guy that uh, I think is removed from the so it's post-Civil War, and he goes out west, and he's just trying to get his life in order and consumes flesh, and it just <laughs> spirals downward. Very cool movie. Apparently the show Hannibal, uh, where the titular character yeah. has dreams of the Wendigo, I read that. I haven't seen it, but I guess huh. a cool cool representation and to one of the most known cannibal uh, characters of modern age. Tabletop games, Dungeons Dragons, Pathfinder. There are specific Wendigo board games. So many, many books. Uh, I could get low-quality books. <laughs> we mentioned in the PSI episode, Gunsmith. There is a Gunsmith <laughs> Wendigo version, and... I don't want to read it, but it's out there. <laughs> it's now been related to the Cthulhu mythos. So one of the cool things that I read as I was going along was that H.P. Lovecraft actually mentioned something about Algernon Blackwood's story, just how the way it was represented, very similar to his representation of, of monsters where you don't quite see the physical aspect of it. It's more of too, too out there, too beyond human scope to even imagine the creature. So you don't really get a, a, good, under, a good sense of it. But... Later on, most more recently, when August Derleth expanded the stories of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft with the Cthulhu mythos in the story Ithaqua, which Ithaqua is one of the great old ones and appears as a horrifying giant with a roughly human shape and glowing red eyes. He has been reported from as far north as the Arctic to the subarctic, where Native Americans first encountered him. He's believed to prowl the Arctic waste, hunting down unwary travelers and slaying them in gruesome fashion. Unfortunately, though, it's all based on Blackwood's representation of it, which he just really didn't go at all into the Native American aspect of it. He just wrote a story and called it the Wendigo. In video games, the game Until Dawn on PS4, an amazing game. I really enjoyed it. I played it uh, maybe a year or two ago. It is that darn uh, Larry. Larry Fessenden is <laughs> uh, a part of it. He was yep. a writer and even appears in the in the game as a character. But I, I definitely suggest anyone that has a PS4 check out Until Dawn. Very cool game. Didn't know it had much to do with the Wendigo going into it. And more, I would say, based on the true nature of the Wendigo than any of their Fessenden's other Wendigo stuff. I saw that there's an actual defined aesthetic called Wendigo Core with depictions of antlered and undead deer monsters sort of being the aesthetic. <laughs> so I thought that was neat. Mentioned it last time in Baba Yaga, the Monster in My Pocket line. There is a <laughs> Wendigo Monster in My Pocket. Uh, this one came out in, I think, the reissues of when they were trying to get it going again in 2006. It's more attributed to the Stephen King uh, ram-horned Wendigo. There is no monster truck. I was talking about Bigfoot, how that's my <laughs> peak peak uh, pop culture yeah. uh, aspect. But there is the Red Cat Wendigo, a one-tenth scale brushless electric rc rock racer and it is 360 dollars and it, it's like a, a a jeep sort of rc car and then on to our our favorite category alcohol for beer hold on to your butts so there are two different brewing companies one in the u.s and one in canada uh that are when to go brewing and on the untapped app, which is an app that you, uh, 
users can rate different types of beer uh, so other people know what they taste like. Just searching the term Wendigo returns 109 different beers related to the Wendigo, what? which is absurd. Because wow. uh, if you recall, the previous ones, maybe one or two, usually just one. Yeah. But 109 different Wendigo beers. This one even goes into the area of wine with Anchorage Brewing having a Wendigo wine. For $70, you can get a barley wine that has a 15.5% ABV. Commercial description reads, this is our black barley wine. Same base recipe as the wax can Omnipoyoscope beer, but double oaked. Six months in Willet bourbon barrels, then transferred to Woodford Reserve double oak barrels for an additional seven months. And it's wax dipped in -in glow-in-the-dark wax which I didn't even know was a thing. <laughs> That's the Wendigo wine. In this aspect, I found a lot more things than any of the creatures so far uh, into pop culture. I am giving the Wendigo a 3.75 on impact on <laughs> pop culture. Wow. It's not necessarily the true you know, Wendigo, but yeah. <laughs> it's, its name is out there. Yeah. I think it's funny that the 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 Wendigo beers, there's so many of them, kind of like uh, implying drink to excess. Yeah, yeah drink to excess. <laughs> Almost every single one of them has the, the deer, oh, the bone God. deer head on it too. Of course. In, in microbrew fashion. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> drink to excess. <laughs> so for my total on the Wendigo, I am at a 18.75. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh man, uh, mine is a twelve. I feel like, I feel like this might overthrow the yeah. mama. <laughs> the Yagishna. <laughs> we will put our scores into the famed cracking cryptids and curios algorithm. Let it do its work. It boils <laughs> down to for the Wendigo, a fifteen point three six total. For the window. Oh my god. So a short, short reign for Baba Yaga as the queen. <laughs> uh, the Wendigo. Destroyed. Can't even get the crown on his head because of those antlers. <laughs> my god. Yeah, 15.36. Seems like we um we saved the the hard hitting cryptids for last. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have known the Wendigo would have had such an impact on my life? <laughs> I didn't know. And so now that we know what the the score of the Wendigo is, do you have any lasting uh, words before we put Wendigo, chop him up, decapitate him, put a silver knife through his heart just to make sure he's dead, and then burn him? I really need to up my researching game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I I found the the golden nugget, bird's oral story, and that just yeah. gave me so much. That's one of the, one of the rare times I think I think the singular only time that we have researched a a creature embedded in Native American lore that actually had a Native American oral story that I was able to hear. <laughs> that was cool. One of the things that I I did like is that this this one, you know, be, being able to see read about the 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 Native American origins or at least the, the stories they told about the Wendigo and how they were essentially, you know, the Wendigo was the idea that 
if you do everything in excess, this is what's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like a morality tale. It, I, I think it's interesting because I think I, I found a book a while ago that kind of said that, oh, Native American stories don't have morals to them. <laughs> like, oh my like God. They're, they're, their their <laughs> storytelling is different from the European style. <laughs> So it's it's like, hey, you know, here you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Who would ever say that? My gosh. <laughs> In Bird's telling of the story, the first thing he points out is that the reason this happened to these people was because they overhunted and overreproduced. They put upon the land too much that it could hold. What other morality besides overhunting and overproducing can you like force down a person before they say like this is a moral scope and then to not delve into cannibalism that that's a good thing to instill on uh, a society i believe don't eat people yeah that i mean that's another thing you know um a lot of uh the europeans would um talk about how the the native peoples who practice cannibalism and they, you know, they say that about everyone. The Africans practice cannibalism. The South Americans practice can, and it's like the fact that they have tales that kind of warn against that. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, like they're not practicing cannibalism in the way you guys think. Like you're just saying stuff just so that you can, you know, have a reason to. I don't know, colonize, yeah. do whatever it is you I want mean, to do. Yeah, that gets into the the philosophy of dehumanizing people, uh, making yeah. them, like, instilling into your own mind that these people are such savages they don't deserve to live, uh, and that you have some sort of moral superiority, and believing it to the point of, I can systematically <laughs> commit genocide against these peoples and be okay with it, <laughs> with a smile yeah. on my face. As, as, a, as far as the Wendigo for me, you know, I just I think it's a really cool concept of giving somebody a, a good moral compass to live their life. I think it's a neat way to look at the creature. Final word I have on it. So the more that you desire, the more you consume, really. It's, it leads to more uncontrollable consumption. It just never ends. And the Wendigo is the manifestation of never being satiated and never being able to apply self-control. So I think it's a good yardstick of self-control. You know, keep it in mind that's... If you are unable to expel self-control, bad things happen. And the Wendigo is the manifestation of that concept, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, you quoted him earlier, Basil Johnston. Mm -hmm. He wrote, he's written a few books. And one of his books is The Manitou's, The Spiritual World of the Ojibwe, in which there's a chapter on the Wendigo. And he mentions how there are modern... The Wendigos in the modern era, which is, uh, he says that they, they haven't gone away. Um, they did not die out or disappear. They have only been assimilated and reincarnated as corporations, conglomerates, and multinationals. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, taking this idea that all these global corporations are now essentially the Wendigo itself. Yeah. Some good old-fashioned late-stage capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Here to save everybody's lives or not. Yep. And the next episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios, our season finale episode, we'll be looking into an entity, not so much a cryptid, but a enigma in himself, John Titer. And if you don't know who John Titer is, we have a story waiting for you 
This, my friend, is a story that's, you know, you and I, we lived through. We were on the front lines of John Titer. I'm excited to look into this and maybe see some things that we missed way back in 2001. And don't forget to contact Jonathan Frakes on Twitter, at Jonathan S. Frakes, and ask him about the Wendigo. Get his opinion as the uh, spokesman of the supernatural. What exactly does... Jonathan Frakes thinks the Wendigo is. Is it a concept? Is it a metaphor? Is it a true entity? Is it beyond belief? We don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And make sure to follow us on Twitter as well, at Cracking Curios. And when you message Jonathan S. Frakes with your curious questions, make sure to hashtag us at Cracked Cryptids. Hashtag Cracked Cryptids, that is. Wendigo, Wendy out. <laughs> Eat the rich. <laughs> Eat the <laughs>